Welcome to Ophthalmology and Beyond, the Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society's podcast. Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society is the largest state association of 3000 ophthalmologists from Western Indian state of Maharashtra. This podcast is by members of MOS for the ophthalmologist community of the world covering a broad range of topics concerning the science, art and practice of ophthalmology and ophthalmologists. This series is an initiative under the current leadership of MOS Honorary President Dr Jignesh Daswala Honorary Secretary Dr Rajesh Joshi Honorary Treasurer Dr Rajiv Mundra and Chairman Scientific Committee Dr Ragini Parekh Hope you like this series Do remember to follow it on your favorite podcast app You may send your feedback to MOS Secretary 7 at gmail.com. Happy listening. Welcome to the third episode of Ophthalmology and Beyond, the Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society podcast. This is a recording of the first journal club meeting held on 24/11 2021 very good evening to all our dear mos members this is the first uh, e journal e library and research club meeting uh, friends i had uh, kept this in mind when i became the resident just prior to that two months to make this committee because it gives very good academic and this to all the newcomers and of course all ophthalmologists at large so here we are we have dr vaishal kenia as the chairman the uh, dr parul deshpande as the coordinator of the group and today she and uh, sumit lahane are going to moderate the session we have the expert panelists with us uh, dr sangeeta wag dr uh, anaga herur and dr saurav uh, patwardhan and then we have dr sabya sachi uh, and dr sethia uh, for this statistical analysis so one hour program will be chris first there will be presentation by uh, Uh, Dr. Chirpe, and followed by that, the discussions with the people will moderate it very nicely, and hopefully, this should set the ball rolling for the next twelve months. Once a month, we are planning of every month a regional club, so everybody will be benefited at large. So over to you, Vaishal. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, and thank you for giving this opportunity. So this is a very unique program of journal club, which is online, so people across uh, everywhere can ex- access it. and without uh, wasting much time i uh, open the journal club and ask uh, dr parul deshpande to take over oh thank uh, thanks dr tasawala and uh, vaishal thanks mos scientific committee to have included this uh, jc uh, session uh, under their umbrella so with this uh, already dr tasawala has uh, introduced our uh, moderator sumit lahane and myself the panelists so i'll just give you a little uh, details of the panelists uh, uh, all of them are very well known figures in maharashtra ophthalmic society but uh, these are uh, dr saurav patwardhan he is the director of uh, nandadeep uh, group of hosp- eye hospitals as well as pg institute at sangli uh, at kolapur and uh, um, uh, ratnagiri 
um he is a very good uh, feco i think he conducts a lot of feco fellowship uh, training programs and he has a lot of publication on his name so we welcome dr sarav patwardhan uh, our next panelist is uh, dr uh, anaga herur so she is uh, the director of uh, anil uh, eye clinic at uh, dombivali and uh, she is uh, a very renowned member of arc as well as the mos so i welcome dr anaga and a very well known figure in uh, mumbai circle uh, see our next panelist is dr sangeeta wag uh, she is uh, 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 currently practicing at uh, wag eye clinic and uh, at ruby eye clinic in uh, pune she has done her formal uh, cornea fellowship from uh, lv prasad eye institute as well as from uh, uh, uh university of rochester so i welcome dr uh, sangeeta wag and our uh, statistical uh, experts are dr sabhya sachi uh, sen gupta uh, who is a well known uh, uh, retina spe uh, retina specialist and also he is the um, uh, co editor in uh, igo and we have dr maninder uh, singh setia who's a consultant dermatologist as well as epidemiologist so we welcome all uh, our panelists and uh, with this i would ask dr sanjana chipre who is the third year uh, pg student from jj hospital to start uh, the discussion uh, thank so you ma'am share your presentation sanjana yes ma'am uh, so good evening everyone over here first of all i would like to thank maharashtra ophthalmological society uh, vaishal sir parul ma'am taswala sir ragini ma'am sumit sir for giving me this opportunity today we will be talking about the results of incidence of incision related desmond membrane detachment using feco emulsification with trapezoid versus a conventional 2.2 mm clear corneal incision the impact factor of the studies around 7.389 these are the moderator statistical experts and coordinators as we all know feco emulsification is the most commonly performed surgery in modern ophthalmology a 2.2 mm clear corneal incision is a common approach in current clinical practice because of its slight surgically induced astigmatism as compared to the other incision sizes incision related desmond membrane detachment is one of the common complication of feco emulsification and its relation to size of incision feco parameters and grade of cataract is extensively studied the incidence of desmond membrane detachment after cataract surgery is around 0.05% post feco emulsification this continues to be a much higher around 30 to 63% what are the causes of desmond membrane detachment post cataract surgery it could be due to poor quality of instruments poor wound construction pre existing endothelial diseases heart cataract and old age the pathophysiology of desmond membrane detachment is narrow incision relatively provides less space for the feco handpiece movement this causes significant friction at the incision site and hence increased risk of desmond membrane detachment here is an asocd picture of the post cataract patient on day 1 Uh, today we are going to discuss the results of a randomized clinical trial which was converted by daya who told us about the incidence of incision related desmond membrane detachment using feco emulsification with trapezoid versus a conventional 2.2 mm clear corneal incision so what they did is they enlarged the internal incision width to 3 mm during feco emulsification by measuring it with a ruler and this resulted in a trapezoidal tunnel incision shape this allowed for a larger range of motion for the surgical instrument and friction at the incision site was reduced this also reduced the risk of surgical complications including desmond membrane detachment 
the primary objective of the study was to compare the incidence of incision related dmd between the eyes undergoing phaco emulsification with a modified versus conventional 2.2 mm incision in a hard nuclear age related cataract the secondary objective of the study was to investigate if this enlarged internal incision increased other surgical complications such as uh, surgical induced astigmatism central corneal endothelial loss compared to the original conventional 2.2 mm incision the inclusion criteria of the study was age between 65 to 90 years a pupil size of 6 mm after dilatation a nuclear cataract of grade 4 or more corneal endothelial cell density greater than 1500 cells per mm square the exclusion criteria were history of previous ophthalmic trauma or surgery glaucoma uveitis high myopia small pupil shallow chamber the primary outcome was incidence of desmond membrane detachment at post operative day 1 which was observed by asocity the secondary outcomes include length of desmond membrane detachment maximum corneal thickness at the incision site best corrected visual acuity surgically induced astigmatism central corneal endothelial cell loss and modulation transfer fraction the statistical analysis states that the normality of continuous data distribution was checked by shapiro wilk normality test and histogram all the missing data were imputed using multiple imputations the final results were obtained by averaging results from each of these 20 data sets using the rubin rules and ci were calculated by proportion z test the result a total of 130 eyes from 130 patients were randomized into conventional group and the modified group each consisted of 65 patients each 12 patients were lost to follow up and remaining 118 patients completed all the study as you can see on your right gram uh, right side on the histogram the incidence of desmond membrane detachment in the conventional group was significantly higher compared to the modified group on post op day 1 and on post op day 7 but it resolved gradually and on longer follow ups there is no significant difference coming to the secondary outcomes the length of desmond membrane detachment maximum corneal thickness and modulation transfer factor only these three parameters they had a significant difference in the two groups on post op day 1 whereas loss of central corneal endothelial cell best corrected visual acuity and surgically induced astigmatism had no difference between the two groups the results of the study demonstrated that modified trapezoidal 2.2 mm incision could effectively reduce the incidence of dmd at post op day 1 surgically induced astigmatism is actually determined by the width of external incision wound on the anterior corneal surface therefore they proposed to expand the internal incision so that the impact on sia would be minimal the highest incidence of dmd after phaco emulsification occurred on day 1 therefore the incidence of dmd at post op day 1 was selected as the primary outcome in the study the incidence of dmd was significantly lower in the early post op period in the modified group greater internal incision width increased the range of motion for the surgical instruments such as phaco tip and reduced the mechanical injury caused wound compression also the larger internal incision increased the flow of balanced salt solution through the tunnel this potentiated the absorption of thermal energy from the ultrasound and reduced damage to the incision causing a local temperature increase no difference in corneal endothelial loss between the modified and conventional group was observed a modified 2.2 mm incision resulted in a higher mtf less high order abrasions compared with the con conventional incision suggesting that modified incision improved the early post op visual quality of the patients on day 1 no difference in surgically induced astigmatism or best corrected visual acuity between the modified and conventional group across the follow up period was noticed so the critical appraisal by the mari framework is what we'll see now 
methodology, the study design, it was a double mask randomized clinical trial. The sample size was 130 eyes and the study period was six months. Assignment, it was to compare the incidence of incision-related DMD between eyes undergoing modified versus conventional 2.2 mm incision for hard nuclear age-related cataract during phaco emulsification. Exclusion criteria, I have already mentioned it. Assessment. So we assessed incidence of DMD, severity of DMD, edema of corneal incision, central corneal endothelial cell loss, BCV and surgically induced astigmatism, visual quality. Uh, the length of desmond membrane detachment was again measured by ASOCT. As you can see on day one, the conventional group and when you compare between the conventional group and the modified group, the desmond the membrane detachment was longer in the conventional than in the modified group showing a significant difference on day one. But on subsequent visit, there was no difference. The maximum corneal thickness, that is the corneal edema in the periphery was again measured by ASOCT. Uh, this also had larger in the modified group than in the conventional group, there's a significant difference on day one and one week later, but no difference eventually. But what is the clinical significance since the visual acuity is not affected because of peripheral corneal edema? The loss of central corneal endothelial cells was measured by specular microscopy. There was no significant difference in both the groups. But studies for peripheral incision-related desmond membrane detachment. So measuring central endothelial loss as an outcome is quite a question should be instead a peripheral endothelial cell count. The best corrected visual acuity again had no difference in both the groups. Incision related small DMD is less likely to affect best corrected visual acuity. So comparison or selection of same as an outcome measure is again questionable. Surgically induced astigmatism. So the study nowhere explains whether they measured using total keratometry or they included posterior cornea also or only anterior keratotomy. Modulation transfer factor, which tells us about the visual quality of the patient on post-op day one. So significant difference was seen on post-op day one. It was better in the modified group, but higher order abrasions are less likely to be affected with peripheral incision. We have a letter to the editor of a G1 TTL sir, who has uh, raised certain drawbacks in the study. The first one being post-operative central corneal edema is expected to have more significant impact on the visual quality as compared with the localized incision site DMD. However, authors have not mentioned corneal edema in the study and this may be a confounding variable. Secondly, assessment of endothelial cell density was done centrally instead of, you know, at the wound site. So this might uh, have let us uh, local endothelial cell damage lead into consideration. The third one is incidence of intraoperative incision site DMD, which is more common in both the groups. However, the authors have not commented on whether the difference was statistically significant. Surgically induced astigmatism was comparable in both groups at follow-up visit, but whether total keratometry was used for calculation or just anterior or posterior is still a question. A large proximal incision width in cre uh, created by the authors by extending the original 2.2 keratotome is actually going to cause more ragged edges and irregularities may actually lead to desmond membrane detachment. So instead of femtosecond laser may have been a better alternative to ensure precise, repeatable and predictable incision architecture. Result. The incidence of DMD at post-op day one was higher in the conventional group 66% compared with the modified group of 40%. The incidence of DMD at post-op day seven was also higher in the conventional group than in the modified group. DMD resolved gradually with longer follow-up time in both the groups. The incidence of DMD was 5% in the conventional group and 3% in the modified group at post-op one month and post-op three months later. Interpretation, the highest incidence of DMD after FACO occurred on post-operative day one. Increasing age, hard nuclear cataract, and higher level of intra-op ultrasound energy are independent risk factors for desmond membrane detachment. 
no difference in surgically induced astigmatism or best corrected visual acuity between the modified and conventional group was noticed. Extrapolation from the study, phaco emulsification with modified trapezoidal incision reduced the incidence of incision-related desmond membrane detachment effectively at post-op day one compared with conventional 2.2 mm clear corneal incision. These are my references. Thank you. Thanks, Sanjana, for a, a crisp presentation. So I think, Sumit, can you take over the discussion? Thank you, Sanjana, for the presentation. So my question is to all the panelists. Starting with Anaga, ma'am. Ma'am, your take-home message from the study and any policies that you want to pinpoint here, uh, other than what we have mentioned, or any uh, and as per your experience, what is the clinical outcome or the clinical take-home from this study? Yeah, uh, very well presented. Uh, actually, uh, one of the factors here that was mentioned is the size, where they have stressed on the 2.2 millimeter incision, but size of the incision is not the only factor. They have just compared how the internal lip was increased to a trapezoidal thing of three millimeters. Now, apart from just the size, you need to also see the architecture and the effective echo time, what was used and that causing uh, wound burns or how the instruments have been uh, passed through the uh, incisions, whether it is the side port or the main incisions. They have not mentioned anything about the side port also which is also one of the reasons how you can get a localized DMD. Shallowness of the anterior chamber during um, surgery, so basically no other factor has been taken into account absolutely in this. Many times it has also been seen that in a 2.2 millimeter incision, there is a wound-assisted uh, intraocular lens delivery, which itself can cause uh, DMD. So, so many other things have not also been taken into account. Uh, apart from the phaco emulsification probe, the instruments and the presence of the corneal endothelial disease, in, they have excluded already in this, that uh, has already been mentioned. But uh, old age and uh, so many other factors like whether there has been any other event, what was the, they have not compared it with the EPT also, I think, in all the other cases. This has been my observation. Uh, thank you, ma'am. Uh, just to add a point here, in study, we did not mention, but the cohorts were matched in terms of EPT also. So they have just written that the volume of the BSS used for all the cases between two groups and the EPT was almost comparable. It was not significant. Uh, that was done. But the rest, as you said, the architecture of the wound and side port is not at all commented in the article. Uh, Sangeeta, ma'am, uh, your take on this? Uh, so actually, I think this is a very good study and of course there have been limitations, but the few things I wanted to point out is that, um, you know, it, it's not just for beginners, but it, it happens to me as well, that if you start out with hydration of the tunnel, hydration of the tunnel is the first sign of a decimus detachment happening. One has to be very, very careful and see, in, and it's almost always a tight incision that is going to cause further hydration and further separation of the decimates in uh, membrane. So I, I think the study has a lot of validity and if just increasing the inner lip as against making the tunnel a little leaky and adding to the astigmatism is going to reduce the incidence of a uh, localized decimus detachment, I think the, this would be very helpful. And one needs to remember that if the separation starts out from the tunnel in elderly patients where the decimates is not very firmly attached, you can get 
the decimate scrolling down literally you know the hydration and it's happened to me before once i had to abandon a surgery a couple of years ago because the upper half of the cornea became hydrated that means the decimates continued to get separated as the surgery went on so you know if you notice a problem at the beginning the best thing is if the study is valid then increase the width of the inner lip or make the tunnel a little leaky in the study it's a single surgeon and they've always used a temporal incision but for people who are using superior uh, tunnels it's again very important you see most of us we notice that the arcus starts in the superior limbus rather than anywhere else and this is a guideline that i use even if i if i feel that the superior uh, 90 degree meridian is the steep one and if there's a very wide arcus i would avoid this region because i know that the decimates is likely to get separated. So again, positioning your incision and the width of the incision, I think has an important bearing to a possible, you can anticipate that the decimates is going to strip. So these are just the few take home messages. Saurav sir, you are take home the same thing about the incision and your experience with the same and the clinical take home from the article sir. Uh, yeah, from the study point of view, I think the major limitation was not uh, properly studied incisions. Uh, I think uh, intraoperatively as well as postoperatively, I think OCT, as uh, Dr. Anaga Madam said, we have to study the architecture of the wound very properly for this kind of study because the entire study was dependent only on wound uh, construction. So many of these wounds, uh, we noticed that even if we have started off with 2.2, they tear by the end of the surgery and actual opening might be even three millimeter because it was already trapezoid. Uh, that was, I think, big uh, limitation of the study. And uh, second, I think the, uh, the uh, surgical induced astigmatism values were surprisingly much higher as compared to what we normally observe with 2.2. If you see the SIAs which were calculated, it was more than 1.5 on day one and uh, continued to stay more than 0.75 even after three months, which was surprisingly much higher. So I think few things were missing in the study. Uh, my take home message from this will be yes, maybe uh, with bigger incision, as we all know that uh, the chances of uh, snugly fitting in instruments are less. So obviously the uh, localized decimate detachment near the incision will be less, but clinically these are insignificant. So only detachments which are significant are which cross towards the center. So from clinical point of view, I feel uh, this study has uh, less uh, impact on our day-to-day -day practice. So Dr. Saurav, I just wanted to make a comment is that uh, uh, actually there, is, there was an e-supplement along with this article where they have uh, shown some of the pictures where they have looked at the wound architecture. Uh, in fact, they have mentioned in the article that uh, they have all the videos, they have all the recordings of the OCT and they have gone through all the things before, you know, they have uh, analyzed the results. So I presume that they must have done everything and uh, post that only they have, you know, come out with their outcome. So, uh, yeah, but I think it was not mentioned whether it started off with 2.2, 2, uh, but what was the end point? at the end of the surgery, it was still 2.2 or it was enlarged. Yeah. So that, that was not mentioned. So that's a big, I think, limitation. Yeah, that is uh, right. Yeah. So another one thing what I felt was that, um, Sanjana, can you just share uh, the uh, histogram where uh, they have just uh, looked at the uh, 
detachment of the Desmith membrane yes, from the intraoperative. So uh, I think when you look at this uh, chart, uh, when you look at the intraoperative uh, DM detachment, um, it's almost nearly more than 80%. So what we are looking at is a subclinical type of a DM detachment. So I think uh, the uh, here I only understand one thing is that all the patients who undergo a fake emulsification with whatever incision, the chances of having a subclinical DM detachment is very high. But in none of their patients, we have seen that they have had a clinical detachment. So it, it, does it mean that all the patients that we operate are having a DM detachment, subclinical? And will, they, will this have any clinical significance? Well, a person who is a beginner, for that person, uh, maybe it is very important to look at uh, this because they would have a more FACO time, more surgical time, more introduction of instruments and likelihood of this subclinical detachment becoming a clinically significant detachment. But as an experienced surgeon, I don't know, I would like the panelists, you know, uh, is this uh, uh, subclinical detachment really significant for our uh, clinical practice, to be frank? Um, Arul, can I add a point? Yes, yes, right yeah. Uh, I just want to say even the length of the incision has not been mentioned. So how long the incision is. So Saurabh brightly said the architecture should have been uh, mentioned very well because longer the incision, even that can induce more astigmatism as Saurabh is pointing out that the uh, astigmatism is more and even I agree with him that it's more for a 2.2 incision. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Dr. Parul, regarding what you mentioned just now very rightly, whether if it's a subclinical, I feel even for a beginner or any surgeon for that matter, if at all there is any incisional corneal edema on day one, uh, depending on the grade of the cataract, then you have to do an ASOCT. So I think whether or not it is even central, so it could be a peripheral planar less than 1 mm, which may or may not actually require any kind of surgical intervention for treatment. But even if you feel that there is a localized corneal edema near the incision, don't actually, it doesn't actually have to be central. So if you do an ASOCT, you yourself can actually know your outcomes and then you go back to your video and see what exactly has caused that localized EMD, even if it is a very small one and it, even if it doesn't actually require intervention. So, so even if it is subclinical, it is important to detect it in time Sometimes you may just think it is triad keratitis and even if it is central, people may not go ahead and do an ASOCT. So I think the take-home message is you do an ASOCT for any kind of post-op corneal edema and confirm that there is no DMD or there is a DMD, how much, how big and what is the extent and then take the call accordingly. Um, Sangeeta, do you have any tips to tell us how do we really pick up an intraoperative DM detachment? So. So, so I, I think I mentioned this and, you know, I keep reiterating that if you detect, see, this hydration that happens in the tunnel is the first sign that the, the decimates is getting loosened. And of course, all of us who are familiar, you know, if the DM is stained by the tripen blue, you'll see this little bluish furl or you can even see this transparentish little furl that goes ahead of the phaco tip. And a couple of things is, you know, at least in my own practice, I realized that after I started entering the eye with the bevel down, my incidence of localized detachment near the tunnel reduced much more as against to going 
develop it it may be something and like i said also in the elderly who have a very wide arcus i always put a little bit of a viscoelastic before putting the probe in so uh, that's one thing and the moment i notice that the hydration in the tunnel is more than what i would expect i always go in and make the tunnel a little leaky just to prevent this decimates from separating and i've i've you know, I've treated enough of patients with desmetopexy, which landed up with a completely unfurled or rolled down decimates. And one has to detect this separation right at the beginning and correct your step before landing into trouble as the surgery proceeds. And like I said, once in the last 30 years, I had to abandon the surgery because the hydration just continued progressing even though I had taken all measures and I just lost complete view of the surgery. This was way back, but that itself made me very, very guarded about the moment I see some amount of hydration or even suspect a decimates beginning to rip in the tunnel. I just stop, look, and retrace. So is there and any also think that the superior arcus, superior limbus is more predisposed? So those who are doing superior temporal or superior tunnels need to be particularly careful. So for beginners, do you think a trypan blue staining would help them uh, pick up uh, early? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Dr. Saurav, I have one question for you is that uh, since this is a clear corneal incision, we are seeing here that the incidence is much, much subclinical DM detachments are much higher with uh, clear corneal incisions. So what is your experience uh, in terms of clear corneal incisions and a scleral incision? So is the incidence of DM detachment different in the two types of incisions? Uh, no, it's multifactorial. So it shouldn't differ between the two types because ultimately the decimate detaches in the clear corneal site only where the wound entry is there. So as I think even uh, Dr. Chipre mentioned in her uh, talk, there are so many factors that she, uh, you know, added. So it will not change uh, depending on the site where you started it. Uh, ultimately, you are ending up uh, in the clear cornea. Yeah. Okay. Of oh. course, uh, if it is a premature entry, the chances are more because then you are near the decimates uh, attachment. So there the chances of clinically significant DMD becomes higher because you can detach the entire decimate. Okay. So we have Dr. Uh, uh, Maninder Setia and Dr. Sabisachi Sengupta. So I needed your uh, help. <laughs> for the statistical analysis. So uh, I had the, again, this uh, query is that the number of, uh, uh, the percentage of uh, patients having subclinical detachment was very high. So the number that they have selected to make it a significant study. Uh, so is the power of study uh, adequate enough? One thing and the statistical part, because I think they have taken uh, the analysis as intent to treat. So can you just elaborate on uh, these two factors and the uh, the study design? Dr. Sen Gupta? Yes, hi, Dr. Parul, and <clears throat> very good evening to everyone. So if the presenter can stop their share, I wanted to just keep yeah. on the screen. <clears throat> I wanted to you know just give everyone a quick uh, statistical sort of point of view uh, on, on the study. So <clears throat> you know, first thing is that this is a randomized clinical trial, and you know that's why it has got into JAMA. And this is probably one of the best journals that we have today. So, you know, we have so many different, uh, so, so many new things which us are thinking about, you know, there are so many prizes under the apple tree, but then, uh, you know, most of us are not comparing it with what is gold standard. And so we're not doing enough randomized trials 
It's not really that difficult. And a couple of authors in this paper are known to me. One is Nathan Congdon and one is Ming Wing He, and both are from the Wilmera Institute at Johns Hopkins. And so, and none of them are at the Sun Yat-sen University at Guangzhou. And <clears throat> I quickly wanted to say that the Sun Yat-sen University at Guangzhou is almost like the, <clears throat> the AIMS in China. And you know, they have the largest publication base of more than thousand publications a year. So. You know, it's a very large uh, organization with a lot of uh, power, <clears throat> a lot of government power behind them. Uh, you know, so they can actually do <clears throat> studies like these. Uh, looking at the you know design and methods, you know, what we should use is the PICO approach. Is what is given here, where P stands for participants, I stands for the intervention, C stands for the control group, and O stands for the uh, outcome measures. And so you know, the journal actually asks for all of these, and they have actually given us nicely. This is a double mask trial. You know, so double mask. We don't use the word blinding in ophthalmology. We use the word masking, and double mask means uh, the <clears throat> the patient as well as the physician, and as well as you know the person who's actually doing the associate are all masked. So this is in fact a triple mask study, and they say it's parallel. But then you know <clears throat> the other opposite of this is block randomization, which they also mention slightly later on. So it's not exactly a parallel assignment study. What they take is nuclear opalescence, but nuclear opalescence is different from nuclear sclerosis. And uh, you know when we use the LOCS uh, system, uh, you know opalescence and sclerosis are different. So taking grade four of opalescence need not mean it's a hard cataract. Then uh, you know in the in the uh, uh, abstract they don't say how they measured or they looked at the DMD. That is by ASOCD. So that is an important thing which is missing. Uh, you know looking at the results, they don't actually present how many percent patients had uh, uh, you know overall DM detachment. Uh, you know, in this, uh, they say, say the difference is 26.15%, but actually it is 40% and 60%, right? So that is something that they don't mention in this, uh, which I actually found surprising. Uh, uh, yes, so coming to your question on sample size, you know, so they say that uh, assuming an incidence of uh, incision DMD at one day post-operative of 50% in the conventional group and 20% in the modified group a two-sided significance was done and the overall sample was 65 percent now the 50 percent in conventional group is taken from uh, literature is what they say but actually you find that it's much higher in this study and the other is that they assume that there would be a 20 percent uh, you know dmd on day one in the modified group but then you know how did they derive at this 20 percent is something which is not told to us either you do us uh, you know you do a pilot study or you actually uh, you know, say how you came up with that 20% magic number. So when you use this 20% and 50%, so that difference is actually 30%. Uh, if you have a, you know, if you say this instead of 20%, if you say it was 40%, the sample size actually becomes more than 500. So the sort of take home message from this is the smaller the difference expected, the larger the sample size, the larger the expected or assumed difference, the smaller the sample size. You know, so that is what has been uh, done here. Also, you know, the difference assumed was 30%. So any difference of more than 30% would be statistically significant if you do a chi-square test. Here you see the difference is 26%, right? But still that P is significant. That's because they have not used a chi-square test uh, to get the values, but they have used a Z test, which is slightly different. So here they say they used a, you know, permitted block size of four. So this is a block randomization and probably not a parallel assignment, which is probably not great for a single center study. Uh, you know, they all mentioned about masking and others. So this is consort statement 11A. Uh, you know, so they talk about multiple imputations. So for the uninitiated imputations are used when there are missing data. 
and we use you know imputations then they use proportion z test and not chi square test so there are you know subtle differences between the two but they are very similar uh, and uh, you know lastly what i wanted to say is this incidence of dmd is not adjusted for confounders such as age grade of cataract of echo power etc and this is some of the points that dr anaga has made and dr uh, you know saurav has also made uh, you know i think all of us have looked at uh, there are that there are many different factors which could look at uh, dmd so what are the factors which led to dmd in these very large numbers and after adjusting for age and for you know given that all had the same age or all had the you know similar grade of cataract uh, similar fico power used was this difference still statistically significant so that has not been done so this is a one on one that is the size of the incision and that you know the desmet permanent detachment but then they have not told us after adjusting for all the confounders whether this difference is still statistically significant and like i said you know this is 26% difference and it is statistically significant however they have you know this p value is based on regressions and not the chi square test you know so the p value using chi square test should also have been provided and since the assumed difference was 30% a difference of less than 30% may not be significant using the chi square test so you know these are some of the uh, sort of you know statistical things i thought i'll bring up uh, to make it sort of clear thank you maninder your take home this thing about the article maninder can you i i'll unmute myself i think most of the points have been covered now uh, did, did you discuss intention to treat analysis or would you want to elaborate that in detail uh we would require to know a little bit about it and whether it was really a uh, uh, dr shrin gupta would you want uh, to discuss that we go ahead dr manindra no uh, because uh, here when you look at the sample size estimation they are talking about 65 but that 65 was an inflated sample right accounting for 20% uh, loss also yes that's right yeah and uh, they did a power the power calculation was 90% that's right that's right that's the uh, general power calculation is 80% so they may have got a significant at 26% also because they must have done it at 80% and uh, inflated sample size of more than 20% so they may have got it just because of that rather than the uh, actual this i agree with you uh, intention to now they've used they say they've used intention to, one they've used imputations for missing values but that's it they do not describe which variables were missing at which point of time so that is something which needs to be discussed in detail because eventually the intention to treat analysis is once randomized the patient is analyzed as randomized how would you describe like in a very easy way what would you describe intention to treat analysis so actually intention to treat is you know when you randomize a patient and the patient is already part of the study and suppose you know they have an adverse outcome or they have प्रोटोकॉल so will this uh, affect the outcomes so, so well nowadays most of the time they see the newer methods like if uh, they would they have not taken any they've taken only um, 
uh, although they, they they've done follow up i think the analysis is cross sectional at each follow up they've taken a one t- they've not looked at the trajectory like you know how the, how each individual behaved okay so the assumption uh, uh, the incidence of is that is uh, say the incidence of uh, desmets membrane uh, this is 26% at baseline it changes to 5% we assume that out of 26% 21% improved and it was 5% or what is it or was it a new this how would you like no one has asked this question how does uh, what is the clinical trajectory of this uh, outcome like do you understand what i'm trying to ask you parul no uh, no uh, maninder you have to make it little more easier for us or otherwise no, no, no. I, i'm just trying to i'm just trying to understand that you're talking about uh, what is the outcome dmd at uh, day 1 post respiratory membrane detachment at day 1 yes. okay yes. now they have followed this up to one Yeah, uh, one month oh, and three months. Three months, yes. Okay, so is it that you wouldn't get a new desmin membrane detachment at one month? Usually not, but uh, there are some rare conditions uh, where the endothelium, if it is not, uh, if it's dysfunctional, you can have late desmin detachment. But per se, not because of the surgery. So they are looking at the surgically induced DM detachment. But that cannot occur later if it no. does not occur on day one. No, no, that okay. cannot occur. Usually, does not occur. Yeah. Yeah, but it cannot occur. No, it cannot occur. Okay, so good. So that means whatever out, whatever the reduction in outcome they have observed is because of the changes in the improvement in the condition. Yes. Yeah. So I think they've they've just looked at cross sectionally what has happened, and they've taken the basically they've used. If you look at the the flow chart, they have one thirty five randomized, sixty five assigned to one group, sixty five assigned to the other group, five lost to follow up in one group, and seven lost to follow up in the other group. But for analysis, they've used all the sixty five. Yeah. Because they may have had all sixty five on day one. but they did not have it later and they just imputed uh, data for later or something like that so this is what becomes the intention to treat analysis okay had they taken 60 and uh, 58 because 5 were lost to follow up in one group and 7 were lost to follow up in the other group hmm so 65 minus 5 is 60 yes so 60 completed the study right and 58 completed the study hmm so that would have been a per protocol analysis but will it make any difference in terms of the uh, study outcome? yeah yeah so uh, generally i don't know about the desmet membrane but if the outcome say suppose there is no improvement in the condition so which is a better one is it a intent to treat intention to treat analysis is usually uh, that, uh, that is what is used these days and that is a better one i don't know what is your uh, opinion dr sen gupta on that so you know i think if they had taken 60 versus 58 mm. then that percentage would not be significant that's because you know they what they have done no. is created the sample yeah they have done imputations to you know generate some values in interim periods when patients were probably did not come at one month and you know uh, because of day one was the main outcome point where everyone yeah. available but then yeah. for imputation when you do an intention to treat you have an inflated sample of 65 yeah 20% more than what the actual sample size was 
Mm-hmm. So, so assume that 30% is the difference. So anything more than 30% would be significant. Anything less than 30% usually would be not significant if you use the uh, you know the chi-square test. Here, this 26% would probably not be significant if you had you know 58 versus 60. That's what mm-hmm. I. Yeah. Yeah, but intention to treat analysis is generally a better way of analyzing data than a per protocol analysis. Because if you stick to a per protocol analysis, especially in large longitudinal studies, this is just a three month study. Had it been a one year study, you would have lost many more patients. So your sample would have reduced a lot. And the newer statistical methods are capable of handling missing data, which is a part of the intention to treat analysis. So sort of, uh, you know, the the most recent studies use intention to treat when your sample size is dropping below that threshold that you had set. Yeah. If it is more than 20%, you know, it is already inflated. Then you could have used per protocol also. Yes. So, So, yeah. It is probably the best way to go if your sample, if your follow-ups are falling below a threshold that was, you know, the minimum essential required. If your numbers are falling below that, then definitely intention to treat is better. But if you already have larger numbers than your you know, bare minimum, then it's probably better to do a per protocol analysis. For such a small study like this, a per protocol would probably be the better way to go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay. I think we'll just go to the the clinical part of it, Maninder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Maninder sir. Thank you, Sabbe Sachi sir, for that enlightenment. So, I will go back to a few questions. Again, it's a uh, question for you, Sangeeta ma'am. Like you said, staining the incision uh, helps uh, for the beginners to understand that there is intraoperative desmid detachment. Can you tell us the exact step? Like, how do you stain with the trepan blue? Like, do you dip the instrument or you just put a drop on the cornea and then go ahead? Uh, how exactly you stain the incision when you do it? Um, so, the first thing is if I'm the operating surgeon and I have already stained uh, the anterior capsule with the decimates, it does stain to some extent the diseased endothelium and that is what helps what you can see you know when intraoperatively you feel the decimates is separating but when i'm teaching students if i want to show them where the tunnel is uh, especially particularly the side ports i would just um, use the tripen blue on the sinski and just mark where the incision is before allowing them to enter the air and and of course, I think what is most important is seeing uh, the students normally will get not really the best equipment to start out with. And I think that is the problem. Like, you know, I, I would rather teach a student with a new, fresh, sharp plate because once they start getting into trouble and making mistake, it becomes more difficult. And that's why I feel that, you know, even as students, we need to expose them to the best of equipment to start out with because they, they'll make lesser mistakes and the learning curve can be shortened. We know that the quality of the instruments uh, makes a big difference to the uh, safety of the endothelium as well as the decimal. So, Sangeeta, is it better to use a 2.8 millimeter incisions for them rather than using a 2.2, you know, for a beginners? Uh, see whether it is a 2.2 or a 2.8 we know that you have to choose the sleeve accordingly and so it really doesn't matter with a 2.8 you're going to use a loser sleeve it's important for them to recognize the problem the moment it occurs stop relook and take a corrective measure like i said if i start finding that the tunnel is getting hydrated when they're operating i'll make them stop and make it slightly leaky 
And in fact, if they get a shallowing of the anterior chamber, then I don't hesitate to even put in an anterior chamber maintainer so that you have peace of mind of the depth of the anterior chamber. They have a slightly leaky tunnel, but at least they can continue without stripping the dissonance. Okay. Uh, Saurabh, sir, uh, if on while operating you uh, notice that there is a decimal detachment and it is extending from the incision site uh, at the end of you and you are able to finish the surgery, how do you uh, prefer to manage that? Like it is involving visual axis or it is inferior decimal detachment? You prefer to put air, C3 effect, or how do you go about it? Yeah, on table decimal detachments are actually quite easy to manage unless you have torn the decimals during the procedure. So generally, it is the hanging decimal that we generally see. Uh, if there is no tear, uh, it can be easily managed on table using just air, which is uh, more than enough. And uh, just like DMEC is done, you have to uh, fill the anterior chamber completely with air and wait for two, three minutes. If there is uh, some fluid or maybe some visco has been injected uh, in between the decimet and the uh, stroma, you can even give some venting incision so that uh, the fluid in between goes out. Uh, basically, we have to treat uh, decimet detachment just like regmatinous retinal detachment, just how we use the air to tamponade the <coughs> retina. So we have to tamponade the uh, tear part with the air and it has to continue to tamponade it for at least uh, for the day. So if it is a superior detachment, it's fairly easier to manage. For inferior detachments, particularly if the tears are in the inferior part of the cornea, uh, I would like to use C3 effect in such case because then it stays in the anterior chamber for longer period and that gives more time for the decimate to attach. Uh, and uh, with that, of course, we have to be careful that it has to be non-expansile concentration of the gas because otherwise the anti-chamber pressure will rise. If you are really have a troublesome decimate detachment with torn decimate, uh, then sometimes you can go do through and through sutures also. And maybe you can then leave C3 effect with inferior PI if you are you want to be really sure that uh, C3 effect stays there for a long time. This is for very troublesome and torn decimate which is there. This inferior PI will avoid chances of pupillary block which is uh, very troublesome if you have left uh, the anterior chamber completely filled with air or any gas. So that has to be also kept in mind. So my general protocol for simpler decimate detachment will be fill the anterior chamber with complete air, make it airtight for two, three minutes. And then once you are sure that decimate has completely attached, I will just uh, uh, put a little bit of saline so that little bit uh, air comes out. And then I will ask the patient to position according to the decimate detachment site. So to sort of many other times, the decimate detachment, you know, is because of the hydration of the wounds. So they try yeah. to hydrate the wound and they actually get it. So I think that's what I wanted to tell because these are the most common detachment that experienced surgeons uh, usually have. Beginners have different types of decimate detachment where they actually tear the decimate, etc. because they are not still sure of the plane of the uh, management. But in uh, experienced hands, that is the commonest uh, time that when you hydrate the incision, the decimate detaches. So the commonest problem is that when you hydrate the incision, you should only hydrate the outer half of the incision and should not hydrate the inner half. Uh, I think I have a video also, maybe I will share later. Uh, so if you by mistake uh, in, uh, inject the fluid in the inner half of the incision, that is the commonest time when the fluid goes 
between the decimate and the stroma and within uh, milliseconds the decimate will detach from that side so just be careful about outer half of the incision and you will not have decimate detachment thank you sir and uh, another one one question for you as you said in beginning that a harder cataract and increased echo time and the handling of the instrument can uh, cause increased chances of decimate detachment so when preoperatively you know you are dealing with a harder cataract brown cataract and there is a shallow ac what extra precautions uh, that you take other than the incision like changing a viscoelastic or anything else that you keep in mind intraoperatively yeah i think this is the most critical um, part that we need to take home back uh, whatever kind of cataract and harder the cataract definitely we all know that the amount of echo time is going to be more and the temperature at the incision site is going to be more most importantly i would if it's a very hard brown cataract i would do with a 2.8 rather than the 2.2 so that you reduce your uh, echo time secondly whatever uh, probe size you are using each time you enter the eye see that the chamber is filled well especially for beginners many times if the chamber is shallow and you have actually not filled it with viscoelastic you tend to even for, for irrigation aspiration when you are changing hands many times the chamber is shallow and when you are trying to shove in the bimanual even through the side port you are probably likely to scrape the inner uh, lip and that that can actually um, initiate a decimate detachment so whenever you putting in the feco probe or instruments bimanual see that the chamber is uh, deep secondly go in completely and then switch on the irrigation this is i think the most important part many times you keep the uh, irrigation on and then you just put in the um, irrigation through the port or even the feco probe and many times you are there in the wound because you are trying to look for the wound and then your irrigation is on so that itself so all these points or when you are injecting viscoelastic many times you keep injecting and then you enter so the most important is you put uh, put it inside the uh, anterior chamber see that the tip is actually inside the anterior chamber and only then inject whether it's air whether it's saline whether it's viscoelastic because it's very very easy to strip it as you are injecting so i think you need to just go slow everybody is in a hurry so you keep on injecting and so that's another point most importantly is detect early suppose you see that there is a slight de strip very very small maybe just half a millimeter you just need to be very careful then at every time you enter with the feco probe see that your direction of the feco probe is not uh, straight it should be slightly downwards see that you are entering very very gently do not be very uh, uh, you know rough on at the incision site and all the instruments have to be very very gently maneuvered do not make too many and then once you see you put in viscoelastic uh, um, dispersive and then reattach it like dr saurabh said uh, air bubble could be at the end of the surgery but sometimes you have a mid surgery a slight de strip slight so you immediately put in viscoelastic and then reattach it back see that you don't increase it limit it to whatever it is so i think that is another important point and definitely with a hard brown cataract you have to keep a watch look for a fluid wave many times you get a wave for example another thing i would say is whenever you do a rexis i usually see that i remove the uh, capsulotomy flap even when the femto many times what happens is that flap is there so you are you sometimes feel that drainage whenever you are putting in the feco probe you will aspirate it 
sometimes it gets stuck and then later on you may not know whether it's a capsulotomy flap or it's a d strip and you know i think it's best after you have done a rexis it's best to remove it make it a habit so that the moment you see some kind of flap like that you know that you are in trouble i i just have two observations uh, regarding the dm detachment so first is that when you have a tear which is at the uh, side port or in the main wound many people try to go and uh, you know try to mechanically reposit it instead it is if you allow the fluid to egress from that port it automatically comes back in its place and uh, second thing is that if you have a let's say accidental fluid has gone through the main wound and you have had a large displacement detachment again egressing the fluid from the main wound and going from the side port injecting uh, would be better people try to attempt to go from the main wound so i think those mistakes should not be done when you have these kind of you know dm detachments uh, intraoperatively there was just one thing i want to say that if, yeah. if you had a history of decimus detachment in one eye it's very likely that you'll face the same with the other so you have to take extra care and be very very careful with this Yes. or even a patient refer to you i mean it it very often happens you do a dermatopexy the patient improves and for the other eye he'll come to you and say no i'm um, really brilliant points and uh, i think uh, the discussion you the highlighted very good points each of you saw up anaga and uh, sangeeta madam and uh, even the statistician highlighted the way the analysis was inflated and how they had brought it out so really uh, take home messages from this talk discussion were really brilliant and from experienced surgeons like saurabh anaga and sangeeta ma'am you highlighted really the key points and sumit uh, asking questions the pertinent questions which uh, everyone uh, uh, really brought out the the key points out and uh, parul uh, it was a great uh, uh, show the first one which we had today and uh, we uh, assume that the bar is set high and uh, i would uh, thank everyone and uh, i would ask uh, dr rajesh joshi to uh, give the thanks giving to everyone on behalf of mos it was an excellent uh, discussion mainly one more point which is uh, required is regarding the instrumentation majority of the people use the same instrument for two three surgeries ah. so that is one more go go uh, message that we need to put across it is not to use i mean use one set for one uh, surgery very important क्लब who were actively involved any thanks to dr sanjana shirpe for um, presenting it so well i will fail in my duties if i don't thank coordinators of today's meet dr sumit dr parul moderators and panelists dr sangeeta wag dr saurabh patwardhan and dr anaga herur statistical experts dr sen gupta and dr maninder setia and of course all of them who are who have joined through the facebook and youtube link as well and entod many thanks to entod as well for providing this platform for the meet thank you so much and goodbye till we meet
This is a Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society production. The podcast team of ophthalmologists includes Dr. Preeti Kamdar, Dr. Praveen Vyavahare, Dr. Praveen Patil, Dr. Rahul Tiwari and myself Dr. Mandar Paranjape. Thank you for listening.